You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. Scott McMahon is founder of Film Trooper, whose mission is empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs. His entrepreneurial journey started after he left his job at PlayStation, and he decided to make his own movie. The movie, called Do Over, never got made, which was a frustrating experience for him because of the different levels of approval and the hoops he needed to jump through to get a film made in Hollywood. So he then made his own movie, The Cube, as an experiment, and really grew an obsession with helping micro-budget filmmakers up their entrepreneurial game. He also authored a book called How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. No festivals, no distributors, no budget, no problem. And in conjunction with that, he's the host of the Film Trooper podcast. Most recently, he's turned his video production skills to the real estate market in Portland and has started a company that leverages the technology and talent he has in content marketing to help sell homes. We cover a ton of information, but there are two things that were most interesting to me. One is the idea that content has become free. So we talk about what this means for films and how people can still make money in media these days. The second thing I enjoyed is the general messiness of entrepreneurship and the roundabout way that he came to start his current business. So I know all of this, it's a long conversation, and I apologize because I generally try to keep them under an hour. But in editing, I couldn't find any major parts that weren't integral to his story. So hopefully you'll find our conversation as interesting and informative as I did. My name is Scott McMahon. Um, I am known in the podcasting world as uh, the fellow film trooper because I run and founded the Film Trooper podcast, which is empowers the entrepreneurial filmmaker. Um, but I'm also an actor up here in Portland, Oregon, as well as a real estate broker. <laughs> so the idea is, and later down the line in this interview, that all, all that stuff would make uh, sense. Um, but I actually should probably reread um, my sort of affirmation um, bio. I don't know. I guess I could pull that up later. But it, it, that's funny that you brought that up because I try to read that every day so that I had to learn it as a script. And as you learn as a script, the idea is that mentally, if you're just reminding yourself this is what you do, then then you try to put the action behind those thoughts. Like, well, then you should be doing these things if this is what you said that you, this is who you are, what you do. So that's definitely something that I'm really interested in with this podcast because it's just just like the mental side of it and kind of training yourself to think certain ways because it seems like a lot of parts of like the entrepreneurial journey are kind of uh, counter to what human nature would want us to do or at least kind of how we normally operate you know we like certainty we we fear social rejection mm-hmm. and all you're doing is trying things that probably won't work for like the one out of ten thing that like really really works well right and right. you're putting yourself and your personal brand out there constantly right so it's terrifying but having that larger sense like that driving sense you want to talk more about like how you got into the idea of like an affirmation in your bio and stuff one thing I've heard for people doing affirmations is that they'll like write them down 10 times a day or something or whatever it is. Do, do you do oh, that? that would be much better than what I did. <laughs> so what's your practice? And like, I just have it up in the cloud on my notes. This is what I wrote. I wrote, uh, who is Scott McMahon? I go, hello, my name is Scott McMahon. I'm a real estate broker as well as an actor and a filmmaker up here in Portland, Oregon. I run the number one ranked movie making podcast on iTunes called Film Trooper. With Film Trooper, I've written the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. Writing the book has allowed me to share this unique approach to filmmaking through public speaking, consulting in the creation of the half-day film school for aspiring filmmakers, young and old, and that's what I do. And I actually wrote below this, 
is uh, sort of my lifestyle goal dreams is like is you know I, I currently don't make this much money but this but the the affirmation is to say I make three hundred thousand dollars a year fifty thousand of that comes from the work I do with Film Trooper from the sales of my films my books and the half day film school program. The remaining 250000 comes from my work as a real estate broker, where I sell on average $8.5 million in property a year. I spend one week every month down in San Diego, California. So the idea from there is those are the dreams, the lifestyle dreams. And uh, by just having written down the cloud is like I pull up on my phone, I could just say it in the morning. And I probably have to get back on it. But I remember, I want to get to that place where I, I memorize it. So next time anybody ever asks me that, I can easily say it as like my elevator pitch to have that confidence. Um, and the goal, that's, I like the idea, like you said, though, of maybe writing it down 10 times a day. But anything to like ingrain it into your brain of like the affirmation. And so that's the stuff I'm working on. I have, like, as you can see, I didn't memorize it. <laughs> well, how did you develop that? A lot of it comes from all the books, you know, you, as you can look, Nicholas, behind me, there's just some books. Um, I kind of break them up into film books and, and entrepreneurial books. Um, but it's really funny. It kind of came down to like the seven habits of, um, highly effective people, um, by Stephen, uh, Dr. Stephen Covey. Um, one of the aspects there is just sort of also like think, thinking grow rich by Napoleon Hill, this concept of thinking it, but then, then writing it down and then believing it. It was like, so that's all this stuff is the cliches that you're, that anybody going down the line of like entrepreneurial, um, uh, journey will probably hear. You know, there's, there's like a handful of books like everybody's supposed to read, and I actually have been you know absorbed so much information that I'm trying to think like I'm trying to simplify it by just like going back and rereading only like a few of the key principal books that everybody seems to come back to. Like there's always like a new book, but it's like kind of a new twist on something like an old principle, and um, I, I kind of feel like maybe that I've I probably have learned. All that I need to know in order to make it successful as an entrepreneur, it's just a matter of the application now. And so I've really been working hard to be better at my time management, my time blocking, uh, uh, energy management, how to um, eat better, but I don't always do it, or you know, get enough rest so that your your optimal 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 performance at the right point being effective, and that whole thing of I've have you've talked to people who've talked about the 80 20 rule to you oh yeah yeah Pareto's law yeah Pareto's principle yeah, yeah the if, uh, Italian uh, economic uh, um, you know a person who talked about land meaning that when he did the analysis he realized 20 percent of landowners owned 80 percent of the land and then people really grabbed onto that Pareto's principle of 80 20 the 80 20 rule and they almost applied to everything and so that's why Anything I'm trying to do is trying to get to that 20%. I'm going to be honest with you and be candid with you. I'm not doing that great at it. And it's a constant battle. And I think those are the things that I wished after everything I've read and everything I've, all the podcasts that I've absorbed into in terms of entrepreneurial uh, podcasts, it seems like everybody's got it dialed in, but it's almost like they got it dialed in. They're, they're working at high levels and I'm still struggling trying to figure out like how to get myself uh, performing better or, um, and maybe leveraging the things that I don't do well. So, and find other people that can help that do it better. But I'm in that struggle still. Like I have, I kind of see the roadmap, but 
the actual application of it and, and putting it into motion is I'm in this roller coaster ride where I get going for a little bit, but then other times I just drop and I go, man, I am not succeeding whatsoever. So yeah. yeah. What are some of those practices that you would like to do? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, the reality is those of us who are probably going down this path, um, there are things that I, I'm trying to get better in terms of scheduling in just daily stuff that happens in life. Like I wake up, my um, my wife works, you know, full time as um, she pretty much is the bread earner, winner for earner for us, you know, and allows me to stay at home um, taking care of our, our daughter, you know, and being there for her and all her school activities. But she's getting older and more independent. Um, that means that I have all these house responsibilities. And I don't know for those who can commiserate working at home, but the little things like, all right, got to wake up. Oh, wait, what do I got to do? I got to walk the dog. I got to take this. I got to make some breakfast. Like all the stuff that sounds, the stuff you got to do, but by the time I realize I'm done with all that, like my day, like um, it's already like nine something. And like I've, and it takes me a while to get up and running. So I would love to be able to honestly, that, that freedom of just, you know, I, I, I kind of want to like get out of the home office and almost like purposely say, Seven in the morning, I got to go. I got to go to the office. I just got to get out of my surroundings where I don't have those like general life home responsibilities I got to deal with. So I can just be like narrow-minded, like here I am just doing the work. And being in a a place where uh, I I tend to do better like working at a library or a coffee shop, something about all the visceral noise around me or even the library, it, it just, it makes me focus. And I've done that a few times um, when I've written like uh, movie scripts and things like that, because it really helps you zone in on um, what you needed to get done. And I, I would like to be able to get that going. And the only, the only reason it's stopping me is just me. I just got to make that decision. And it's like, or make the, make the decision, like how I'm going to handle my home responsibilities at the same time, just move forward with this ultimate like schedule in the morning. And actually in real estate, there's just, I have this roadmap. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do to, to, to generate business. And, um, I can show you real quick. And I mean, we're audio here. Um, I'm going to move this mic. So it might make a little bit of noise. Hold on. So in the real estate world, we have this thing. Sometimes they recommend call like the greatness tracker. And all it is, is a weekly spreadsheet that tells you what you should be doing every day in order to build your business um, in real estate. And this could be applied to any industry. So imagine this. This is what the greatness tracker would be. Is um, They recommend you're supposed to have a face-to-face meeting with three people every day. That's, that's actually harder than you think oh, it is. Oh, it's insane, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you're supposed to break bread with two people every day. Like, and then you're supposed to have 10 great phone calls. Like you have to just get on the phone and call like uh, old friends or new friends or past clients, new clients, leads, anything like that. And then you're supposed to have um, at least a one seminar you attend during the week, you know, in, in terms of all this stuff. And then you're supposed to have like hours prospected, like in terms of finding leads. And then, and then here in the real estate world, they're really big on uh, writing th- personal thank you cards, but you're supposed to do two, at least two a day you know, and, um, and then there's all those other things like following up on the leads and the actual work of the real estate agent is like working on the transactions and working to make sure, uh, all the deals are going through the way they're supposed to on top of always, uh, 
prospecting or lead generation. So with that said, you know, there's a discipline in terms of waking up in the morning and doing doing the job of like, if this is the job to generate business, then I have to put the hours in. If you're doing something for online, like I did with Film Trooper, it was waking up in the morning and creating content. Here we are in a podcast. This is content. So this would be like part of the content marketing, whatever this information marketing is, it's leading to some sort of call to action or sale or something. And so for Film Trooper, it was a lot of, of uh, things in terms of what's what's working, what's not working, what kind of content am I supposed to be creating? Am I creating content that's already been created? So am I just like cannibalizing the marketplace anyway? Like am I already just repeating something that somebody already said? Or what's my unique you know perspective on it? It's yeah. a huge waste of time. Like I think about yeah. that with uh, writing about like investing and stuff, right? Because there's a million like, personal finance blogs, <laughs> right? There's yeah. just, there's too many. Do you want to talk about Film Trooper and what your goal with creating it was, how it came to be? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'll do the short of it. Um, I'm, I came from an artistic family in terms of my dad was a, a professional artist. I went to college on uh, some art scholarships studying graphic design, fine art. I got uh, hooked on the uh, theater bug and acting bug, and that led to filmmaking. And, I, and that's the whole point, I think, when you're in college is to explore these these opportunities to find out what you really what really ticks for you. And so I went down the filmmaking track. And you know, I'm old enough; like I'm in my mid 40s, so I was part of that generation that was being enamored by this. Ex- this it seemed like this explosion of um, independent filmmaking happening when Sundance became relevant. Uh, Quentin Tarantino was on the scene. Uh, Kevin Smith and um, uh, Robert Rodriguez, like all these things that looked possible. It looked like that was like the gold rush. Like, so that's like a young person, like you dream of like, well, that looks sexy, fun and awesome. Let me go down that path. So it was just like sort of a collective uh, swirl around my generation at that time. And so uh, long story short, I went to film school, um, and then uh, and at the same time, I was acting uh, down in Southern California, and so I was always around the film and television industry, um, but I had made a couple of really bad short films, that's what you're supposed to do, uh, made one that was okay, and I got uh, an opportunity to be... Um, uh, there was an opportunity to interview for the Sony PlayStation. Then this, this is before PlayStation was PlayStation. Like, it hadn't been released yet. All all that all I knew was like, here's a job opportunity. Somebody knows how to work some video equipment, and they're not paying like top dollar because they had other people come in for the interview, but they were already people in the television industry that they were um, their salaries were would be X amount, you know, and they weren't re- willing to pay. And I was some poor college kid that had debt, you know, <laughs> that had a, a handful of short films that I understood how to make you know, film content. And they saw that and they're like, cool, do you want the job? Because all it is, is like, you're going to do some marketing videos to support the marketing department. Perfect. So I jump in, I don't even know what PlayStation was, but it sounded cool. Like they were just launching this new platform and they had all this video equipment. They didn't know how to put, it was just in a room. They was like, well, how do you put all this stuff together? Like, oh, I'll take care of it. So I was, you know, I had like three Macintosh computers, different types. You know, this is like, you know, mid nineties, and then I was putting together all these beta decks and super digital beta decks and all this camera equipment, put it all together. So I was locked in this like closet for my first part of my career at Sony PlayStation. So during the day, my job was to support the marketing team. So I got a taste of 
what it is to be part of a marketing team, creating content for marketing, uh, a marketing team. And then at night, I was working on my movies. So I had now access to better equipment to refine my movies. And one of the game producers saw that what I was doing, liked what, I, what he saw, and asked me to make some movies for their game. So then I was doing two jobs at one time. I was doing my full-time job being supporting the marketing department, but at night I was making movies for all these video games. And then that's when they realized, all right, these are really cool. You're doing a really good job. Let's Now I can split the job up. So we were able to hire somebody to take care of the marketing end, and I could f- focus full-time on just making movies for the video games. And that exploded in 12 years I was there. Um, then I was just overseeing like huge teams and working with uh, the best visual effects artists in in the world, um, people that worked on everything from Star Wars to Lord of the Rings and Matrix and so on, and we were producing really high level uh, uh, visual effects cinematic um, movies, short movies that went into all the different video games, and we supported marketing as well. Um, but there was a lot of things that happened when they launched PlayStation Three, and and they had to do in the video game world. Uh, since my job was just to create um, what they call pre-rendered movie sequences, um, they were considered fluff in the the gaming world. Because, you know, if you ever play a game, you might see the movie once, and but then next time you get to that level, you right. hit X. That's actually like the worst thing is yeah. when you can't skip it the second time around. Yeah. You just like have to sit there for 20 seconds like, yeah, no, like I appreciated it the yeah. first time, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that is the reality of where I, you know, I was making movies, but I wasn't making movies in the movie world. It was in the video game world. And so the, and, and that that meant different things. They were, we were beginning to experiment with game engines. So we weren't doing much pre-rendered stuff. Um, and there's a lot of uh, changes in the company. So um, and this is right before the economic crash. So I decided like, well, what am I going to do with this change up after I've been there for 12 years? And I made all these connections in Hollywood that I wanted to go back to the core, which is like, well, I, I should just make my own movie. Like that's, I have all these connections. And I had this movie, um, it was an American comedy. Um, and it was about four guys plus one hot girl plus a time portal and it equals do-over that was the name of the movie do-over and if you could relive one day in high school what would you do and so this is like uh 2007 i think or something like that right at the right before the crash so i had everything in place you know i met um all the like the i had a cast a name cast in place you might know some of the names but then uh met the right producers and things like that but when the economy crashed, that kind of rattled the finances in Hollywood. So a lot of like I was working with National Lampoons on this perfect project for them. And then all of a sudden I realized they were going through a scandal of like bankruptcy and corruption. And like it was like too many things that were going on. I learned a lot about how the Hollywood system works, especially for independent filmmakers, and saw there was a change. So Every November in uh, Santa Monica, they have the, the American film market. So it's an actual market, not like a film festival. So what a lot of people think is the mentality is we as artists, we will make a film and we get into a film festival and then we get all these awards and people bestow all these riches on us and our dreams come true. Yeah, you strike gold. Yes, it's that mentality of striking gold. And the real, um, But that's not how the market works. Because when you actually go to the markets... The stuff that's actually being bought and sold by all these international uh, f- film buyers and television buyers, it's not the highbrow sort of uh, film festival stuff. It's kind of like the schlocky action and horror stuff. And it's just, and, and it's, I was told very specifically that your American comedy 
it doesn't translate well overseas because the humor is so relevant to America and, and doesn't translate well overseas. So it was, it was, it was an eye opener to see how the business worked. And then, but there was a guy at this symposium that made, that made his little film and then he used online marketing strategies to sell his DVDs online. And he made about like $50,000. So you understand that was not impressive to the people at um, the film market because everybody was thinking millions. They weren't thinking like 100,000, 50,000 was any like like that not, that's not the number they were going for but his ROI is probably crazy exactly cuz i was the only, i think of only one in that symposium was like the light bulb went off like what it, what does that mean so then that took me down a path of under, really learning online marketing understanding that there's a change and and at this particular time the economy crashed um uh, the world of filmmaking had changed in terms of equipment here we are we're talking on this this equipment was not available like 10 years ago to be able to do all the stuff that you're, you know, we're doing right now. Well, even just like an iPhone probably has better equipment oh. on it than like was available for like a, well, I guess iPhones are now like a thousand bucks, but like thousands or 10, like 10,000 bucks yes. to get you elsewhere. Yes. I mean, here, I mean, I was running this huge department in Sony and I remember we were dishing out hundreds of thousand dollars for the editing, you know, suite, uh, the cameras, you know, and now everything just came down to a laptop and then the cameras and the audio recording equipment, everything just got democratized. It was amazing. But then I, uh, that, that's what got me thinking, like things are going to change. And um, so that's how it led to this creation of, I really, really bought into the world of online marketing and online entrepreneurship, and I'm trying to figure out how you can combine that with filmmaking. So, um, and that's when it led me to make my own feature film um, for $500 without a crew. And it sounds crazy, but I, I did that only, I didn't intend to have not to have a crew. It's just that my lead actress only had a certain amount of time that she could do the film, and I had to get real creative and figure out how to shoot a movie when I didn't have a crew. <laughs> So I, I just got creative because I've done certain things as an actor before with just nobody behind the camera. I just had to figure it out. And the, the keeping it down so low, like $500, was only simply because I I knew the story wasn't marketable. Because I had been working so many times on projects, trying to write and create projects for the market. And then I personally, on a, like a, a soul level, like wasn't fulfilled. Like this one was just simply just because I wanted to do it. And... And, and keeping it so low is because I already knew from, um, I was privy to data of like how much movies were actually making online and they weren't making very much at all. Maybe uh, a movie that didn't have a star or, or anybody you know or any like a discernible genre that you could easily hang your hat on uh, was only making about like $1,000, $5,000 online. So I thought, well, I'm not going to make a $10,000 movie only to make $5,000 online. Like that's not good economics like you said it's like how do i get a better roi so it's like well i'm gonna have to make it for under a thousand bucks so i had to get real creative of what that means if that's the average is only a thousand you know five thousand ten thousand dollars so that led me down this path of really figuring out how when i finish my film how do you market and sell it online so my film is more of less more or less like a guinea pig to to test out these uh, these um, theories I had to, to see what worked and what didn't work. And that led to the creation of Film Trooper, Film Trooper Podcast, because it was a place to explore, hey, 
Hey guys, everybody out there in film, the filmmaking world, I too am a filmmaker. This is my background. I just made this film because I wanted to see what's working, what's not working when I sell it online. And I will share that with you. And then on top of that, I get to interview all these people that are in the industry to ask these really poignant questions of like, well, how, you know, what's, what's working for you? Or like, how, how are you making money? Or, you know, or all those types of things that you're asking on your podcast. So, so you put that out there. Uh, how did you get? How did you start getting traction with that? What were some of those things? Well, when did you start getting traction? Yeah. Like how long did it take? I'm out, I've been into it like three years now, and it's actually quite funny. Um, I, in hindsight, I just sort of whimpered it out there. <laughs> like I made a hand. Like like the first couple episodes were just, you know, I I don't know. It was just trying to get my feet wet. You know what what the format was, what I'm, how I write blog posts, and do I put you know what do I put in the show notes? What's working? What's not working? And I just kept at it, like, I, because I was actually interested. I was, you know, um, you know, I really got interested in film marketing or online marketing and online strategies. And I became more of a, a, a enthusiastic curator of all this information. And, um, and I just started to add it to social media. So what it is, is like, I launched the podcast, but it was just sort of like a whimper. It didn't like... I didn't do it. It just, I saw it come up on iTunes. I'm like, okay, cool. It's live. It works. Cool. All right. What do I do now? Keep going. And then I didn't know how to share. Like, so it's like, okay. So I start getting involved with Twitter a little bit, you know, learning like how to use um, bit.ly links, small links, how to create, you know, what's interesting, how to gain followers from there, not followers there. Uh, Facebook. At the time I started, everybody was talking about Google+. Plus. So I went all in on Google Plus, and I, you know, so I missed out on the boat. Know. So I had to rebuild myself on Facebook. Yeah. So there, yeah. It's so hilarious. that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I mean, yeah. Tragedy plus time. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Here's here's the thing. I'll I'll, I'll do the best I can to answer succinctly um, strategies. What I should have done with po- now, I recommend like if I'm going to launch my, my another podcast, uh, or, or I I helped out, um, I do some consulting. I'll backtrack. One of the first things that online entrepreneurs recommend, like if you're going to start like an online business, and that's what I saw like Film Trooper as, like this would be like an online business, online portal. It's going to be the educational resource for filmmakers looking to how to sell and market their film online. That's it, you know, and and, and that. One of the first things they mentioned is like, just put up a page that says you you offer consulting, you know, and put a price tag on it, like whatever. 500 bucks or something. Okay. I did. <laughs> did <laughs> it know, work? You did. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Did I you just, have much of an audience at that point? No. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, okay. I know what I'm doing when I get home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Here's a funny thing is, it's like, so I put up a page that's just simply, um, I didn't have many episodes. I, I just, I wanted to go blindly, go, here's what the experts say to do. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to put a public page and say consulting. What does that mean? I'm going to do marketing consulting on their projects or wherever they're going to go. And then, you know, I just continued doing my podcast and, and, but I was looking for feedback. So if anybody was commenting on it, you know, I've tried to get their email and, and, and create my email list. So the basic premise of an online business is you have to get leads into your sales funnel. And so what that means is my lead generation is my podcast. This is what we're talking about here. It's free content that is supposed to have a specific topic that somebody is needing to get, you know, answered. So in the filmmaking world, it might be simply something as how do movies make money? Or how do I 
sell my film to Netflix. Like those are specific needs that a filmmaker might have. So they will listen to the episode and might, might have an expert on or I'll do like a, uh, a curation, a research that I've done and I present that on my podcast. The key is that my podcast needs to advertise some call to action. And so I learned this trick from um, the guys at Internet Business Mastery because every time they start their podcast, they would say, hey, go to like free video gift dot com to get this free video that they put together that in terms of getting more information so I'm like great so i grabbed a url url called freegearguide.com and for the longest time the you go to this simple landing page and the only thing you can do is sign up to get this free gear guide which is i have this 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 little book i put together on all the equipment i use to make my feature film without a crew so that's why it's like, and I know that that's important to some filmmakers. Like, well, what did you use? Like, what, what equipment? Like, that, and so what happens is when they sign up, then they're part of your email list. And so now I start building my email list because all the all the experts say build your email list because you're because things will change. Like, if you built your audience in Google Plus and nobody uses Google Plus, you're screwed. That's why you want to have everybody on your email list that you can follow up later um, to eventually sell them products that are beneficial to them. You know, that's the goal. And so you have the sales funnel, which is here's free stuff. The free stuff is the podcast. And then you give this call to action, which is like this free gear guide. And that takes them to a sign up page. And now they're part of your email list. Now your job is to continue providing them value um, into the email list if they're on, like a newsletter. And then, you know, if there's something, a higher price point product you can sell them, then sell that to them. Because the, the odds are like if you have a large list, um, the actual standard conversion rate in the marketing world is like one to three percent. Meaning that if you had a hundred people come to your site or sign up for your your email list, only about one to three percent are actually going to buy anything from you. And it's actually crazy, but it kind of works. And the way I figure that out is my movie or movies. You can kind of tell, like, if you go on to YouTube and look like how many views a certain movie gets. Like say it gets a hundred thousand trailer views or million trailer views, just do like a simple one to three percent conversion rate on that. That's how many people are actually going to buy or go see the movie. And so I start selling my movie online, and I start seeing those numbers almost to a T. It's it, it ranges between one to three percent. So as my trailer views go up, um, my sales of the movie continue in that one to three percent range. It's really weird. It's really weird. So right now. FilmTuber, the way the sales funnel works is, you, you know, I give away this free content with my podcast. I offer this free gear guide. Um, um, but what happened during like the second year running FilmTuber, I started getting an audience to Google+. <laughs> and I decided like, let me write a book. Because that seems to be always the next step. Whoever is doing something, they go, I wrote a book. And the book is like becomes like a, a lead magnet of some sort. But the goal of this book, which was how to make and sell your film online and survive the Hollywood implosion while doing it, was intended to see if how do I write a book and then sell it on Amazon so I can use that as a litmus test to see how you can apply that to selling your movies on Amazon. Um, and so people followed me in this journey of writing this book. And then I, you know, I took this this advice of how to launch the book and then start selling it. And now now my podcasts all have a, uh, it always starts with, it's sponsored by the book. 
And then I give away like a link to how, how to get access to the book. It's available in paperback, Kindle, ebook, but mostly the audiobook because I recorded an audio version of me reading the book. Yeah, how did that go? I've heard that's way harder than <laughs> people think. Okay, so my book is nothing more than like, like in-depth blog posts of like 25, just imagine like 25 blog posts on very specific uh, topics, but they're all condensed into like chapters or whatever. Um, because I was already doing a podcast, I had the audio equipment. So I did a poor man's um, editor, which is I wrote the book and then I started to record each chapter. But as I was recording each chapter, I was taking a red pen to because I was reading like what I wrote to hear how it reads yeah and I go God, that doesn't make any sense at all so I would scratch scratch that out go back and right there and just start writing on the computer fix it then re-record the line so it was it was like this I was re- rewriting anyway I might as well just record what I was you know yeah. reading and so that became my audio files and there's a way to do it on Amazon, which you submit it to uh, ACX, which is Audio Creation Exchange. Um, you can actually have somebody, they offer services where you can pay them to create the audiobook for you and all that kind of stuff. But I want, but I realized my audiobook sells way more copies than my Kindle book or my paperback book. And the simple reason is because here we are in a podcast, the format that we chose to create our audience is audio. So it's a natural uh, assumption that the way they want to consume your content is through audio as well. If I was a blogger that people love to read my writings, like if I had, instead of doing a podcast, I created a blog that had a lot of, you know, readers and visitors coming. When I decided to sell a book, I think I probably would have more people buy the Kindle and paperback because my audience was always, they were already readers, you know? So it's, it, that made sense to me. It's like, oh, so whatever free format you're going to try to collect your audience from, just know that that's the same format that they're probably going to acquire your, whatever you're going to sell later, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Only so much time that people have and like the last, or I don't know, the most recently um, opened up space is just people driving in their cars or walking a dog or doing busy things. Yeah. Yeah, Doing dishes. I've got podcasts on. I'm driving. I've got a podcast on. I'm walking the dog. I have a podcast on. I'm exercising. I have a podcast Mm -hmm. on. It's like three or four hours a day of just otherwise boring chores that Mm. are now I can fill that time. And then I go sit down and I read like a different thing. It's like compartmentalized a little bit where. Yeah. Yeah. You and the great thing too, we can listen to double speed. Half speed, you know, it's like, so you're getting the information I faster. That, I got real stressed. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend would get home and I'd be like talking at double, double pace. I mean, we're talking like a little bit fast now, Yeah. but I would just be like probably another 50% even above this. Yeah. And she's like, this is not working. Like this is, <laughs> it is stressful to come home to this. You should, uh, it's, I do now, I used to double speed, but now I do a speed and a half. But yeah, I know I told you what you're saying because I realized I would listen back to my recordings, my podcast, and double C is way too fast because I realized that I probably talk fast anyway because that's how I'm listening to things. And then when I'm talking, it's going that fast. <laughs> it's funny. Cool. <laughs> With your initial audience, so you have kind of like the top of the sales funnel and then like above mm-hmm. that, you've just got like people who are taking the free content and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you build up uh, that group of people before you really put like that sales funnel in place? Yeah, the sales funnel actually came in later. I, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you, all this stuff was messy. I just decided to go for it. Like, um, like, oh, let me just, one, like, let me go for it and make a movie. So I made a movie, but when, once I was done making the movie, 
that's when I launched Film Trooper because I realized I needed a platform to talk about uh, the film to sell to sell it. That was really what I was selling, really the, to figure out how to sell my film. Here's the difference. What I learned from this is we were talking about the gold rush or or the the, the dream. Um, so we can go back to the gold rush in the 1840s um, in California, which created the California boom, right? So everybody came out with this dream of discovering gold, to mining and picking and finding gold. But we all know that um, what we learned from history, and you probably know what I'm going to say, is that everybody made their money from selling picks, tents, and shovels. Anyone who was selling the tools to all these dreamers made all the money, and that's who really built California, the bankers, the Levi jeans, all that kind of stuff. And so that's that same thing exists today even Hollywood in terms of everybody dreaming to become part of the movies so there's this whole sub industry that's making money tons of money by selling you know acting courses screenwriting courses you know go to film school learn how to do this and that so they're they're tools teaching the education of how to do the thing that you're eventually going to try to become a dream at we're seeing the, the last few years I've seen the new wave of the golden dream is no longer Hollywood or things like that. It's really uh, Silicon Valley. It's who can write the next app that's going to be the next, you know, Instagram, Facebook, or Uber or whatever. Like that is the new dream. So what we're seeing is like this wave of people supplying uh, education uh, in terms of tools to support the dream. So those always go hand in hand for some reason. And talking about real estate, I had dabbled in uh, real estate investing. And real estate investing is mo- nothing more than finding a, a crappy home that you try to get under contract for a low amount of price, and then you flip it to a higher investor or you you put money into it to rehab it to then make it look pretty, and then you sell it at a higher price point. And you see all those shows. All those real estate shows are about house flipping, about the, the, the glamour of seeing something that's crappy. They do something great to it, and then it sells the happy dream. You know, so... And so everybody kind of jumps into that world because of those shows. And what you realize, if you dig deeper, like, yeah, you can make some money flipping a house or two, but there's only a handful of people, 20% of the eight, you know, right, that do, that actually doing the well in it. But most of them are actually, the people that make most of the money are people who sell the courses on how to do it. It's like, oh man, that's exactly, nothing's changed. They're selling the picks, uh, tents and shovels in that industry. And so the funny thing was in the film world, if you ever go to any film festival, usually after a screening of a film and there's a question, Q&A of the director, the filmmakers, uh, somebody in the audience will always ask like, hey, what did you shoot your film on? Like what camera did you use? And how much was your budget? Like those are like hand in hand. Those are what people want to know. They don't, they don't really care about your film per se. Other filmmakers, other filmmakers just want to know Hey, how'd you get your money? How much did you shoot it for? And what you know, what equipment did you use? Because once you understood, like, all they care about is what equipment you use. That's why I created the free gear guide. So I'm like, okay, so this is what they want. And then Film Trooper is all about, you know, I when I talk about my movie, I talk about the making of it, why, you know, I only spent so much, so little on it. The, the end result is like, you know, how do I know, like, uh, films are, are not making that much, you know? And then and allow this platform to to emerge. So I'm not talking about my film. Like my podcast is not about my film. It's just simply like, hey, I'm a filmmaker too. I made this film. If you're interested in learning more, 
You can grab the free gear guide, which then advertises the film, where to buy it online, which at the time I was selling on Vimeo, but now I sell it through Gumroad. Um, and so I make, you know, a handful of sales once in a while on my movie, but it's only because it's, it's an interest people have, not a because the movie has any value in terms of interest. They're just curious of like, well, what, what kind does, of movie could you make for 500 bucks? With no crew. Is, is what yeah, that's, that's all there. That's what, that, I knew that's what the marketing was. So that's what I built Film Trooper and that was my first sale right. was the, 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 the movie. Right. Like the, people are looking for inspiration kind of that, like they want to see yeah, like, oh yeah, yeah like, wow, oh, you, like, this is really impressive actually. We can, right. I can get that for 500 bucks. Exactly. Like that gives you like hope, like, wait a minute, maybe I could do this, you know, and or whatever, you know, <laughs> but you're right. That's the, that was the goal. So that was the first year doing that. It was building a platform to sell the movie. All this stuff is done part-time because I was still working my full-time job as a creative producer for this education company. So what skills I was learning, applying on my own, I was bringing it back to work or vice versa. So I was still in that world. Um, my Then um, some changes happened in the company and I was about, oh man, I'm going to be, you know, looks like this job is going to end as well. So I hadn't done acting in a long time when I was younger. And so I decided that I needed to know some other production companies in town in Portland. And, and just for my, it was just for me personally, I go, maybe I could dust off my own headshot and resume and see if I could get an agent up here. Um, lo and behold, I didn't realize I was going to get picked up by one of the top agents as well as start working as much. So for those who know, I mean, in Portland, um, you can't see me, but like I'm half Asian and half white. So my mom's from Thailand, my dad's from New York. So I have this very unique uh, ethnic look some people think I look Hawaiian, you know, but like I have this type in the world of acting. They just go off kind of what you look like first. Everybody has a type, you know, and that's where they start with, you know, the, the physical physique and then, then they go from there. So I happen to represent a type that was very rare up here in Portland because there was a lot of white actors and not a lot of ethnic actors. And actually my type is the ambiguous, non-threatening ethnic <laughs> so it's like i i can sell a lot of products what that means is i get hired a lot to sell to to be uh, somebody who representative of families because when a company is trying to like look we don't want to be just like you know too one ethnic or just too white we, right. can we get some ambiguous you know nature so i represent so that and as long as i'm non-threatening meaning that you know, i don't look like um like a, a somebody who kill you or a gang member or something like yeah. that thing so it's like okay so i'm like that easy, non-going, that, that's the look or feel that I give for people. And, and I end up becoming spokespeople, a spokesperson for different companies. I got a chance to tour and work all over the state of Oregon and Washington and meet all these amazing people. And that, if that helped supplement like a part-time income as well as the income from film troopers started to increase. Um, because I no longer was not just selling just my movie, now I have my book. My book was selling for like, you know, $10, $20 price point. Uh, and it's all self-published. Uh, and, you know, the only advertisement is coming through the the podcast. But imagine I have almost like almost 150 episodes. So once you create that many a volume, have that much work out there, somebody's discovering like, you know, episode 67 for the first time. You know, it's not like... Because once it's out there, it's out there. So th I have this like steady uh, growth. Um, I have in the world of like online marketing or online entrepreneurship, they talk about the hockey stick moment, 
where you have this traffic that kind of slowly grows, slowly grows, and then one day it's going to shoot up. I haven't had that. It's just, <laughs> it's just real steady. Oh, me neither. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like painful. Like, okay, like it's growing. I can't complain. Uh, I can tell some of the earlier episodes are getting like more downloads, so mm-hmm. people are kind of working their way. I guess people start at the beginning and they kind of work their way through. Right, right. So like, I can see this like little wave that's like kind of coming through, and like presumably that'll continue. But it's just like so painful to watch that and just like sit through <laughs> that in real time. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's so the the goal here is the basics of the online business is like you cr- you have to create some free information marketing or content marketing that will generate uh, traffic over time. And then that you get that steady growth and then it um, shoots up to this hockey stick moment. Um, but then you're supposed to offer something for sell. Like, like I said, I started with my movie, now I offer my book. Um, those are price points. So, like, so the movie's like 99 cents or three bucks. So it's a low price point. Like I'm, I'm not going to make any money unless I do huge volumes and sales. Yeah. So the book was like a little talking bit, about your goal. You'd have to sell like a hundred thousand of those a yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So that the, the math doesn't add up. So like in the book, it's priced a little bit higher, 10, 20 bucks. So um, I make a little bit more money that way. I'm supposed to. If you look behind me, I have this ch- chart. It's basically I'll I can walk you through it, but it's this is like the outline of how to create an online business, and I have not yet created what they call the core offer, which is my like $100 product or my $300 product. I just haven't, it was supposed to be, you're supposed to take your book and then do an online course. So then you have this more in-depth version of what your book is about. I built like a fourth of the course. I haven't built it out. And why? Um, My energy. And also because I'm also, um, I took the initiative because of the people I got to meet during my podcast interviews, because you, like you said, you were meeting a lot of wonderful people. I um, purposely start forming these masterminds. So to get together with these other people that are in the, in the space. So we're not like at competition, we're, we're working together. So I became friends with like, I, I know most of all the other filmmaking podcasters and we do mastermind groups together. And the, the goal there was to like, hey, we're not in competition, you know, let's not cannibalize the same audience. Um, let everybody do what they want to do. But the but it helps me gauge because I can see like, oh, that person is really doing well. They're they're offering better courses than I could offer. So that's it stops me from making my course just yet because I'm like thinking how I need to create something that's unique to me, that's unique to the audience that I serve. So it's it, it complements everybody else. And um, but also at the same time, I just haven't done it just because of time management. Because life gets in the way, uh, stuff gets in the way, and it's just like, and and at the same time, I'm seeing my friends who are doing much better than I am, like their traffic and what they do in the film space, and I'm getting a pretty good gauge of like, like how much hustle they put into something, and then how much return they're getting back. And I was like, oh man, it's not that much, you know? <laughs> like, I think they're going to do really well, they're doing exceptionally well, but it's not as much as you as you think it might be. So it's like, because I have the inner workings of the masterminds and we really are candid about our numbers and how much we're making and and what's working, what's not working, um, that gives me perspective of like, maybe it's like preventing me from just finishing it because it's like, well, when I finish it, I know what the end, the result is like, I'm only gonna be able to net so much, you know? Because I'm at this age, like I'm, I'm looking at like you know entrepreneurship. You're like looking at what's my greatest return on investment right now, 
And so um, Film Trooper now just becomes like a place at, at right at this particular point. It's just a, a podcast, content creation, content marketing that sells a book that makes me, you know, X amounts, $100 a month, which is, you know, a great side business. But now I need to supplement it with like a more main business because I realize that maybe Film Trooper won't be the, the main business that I want it to be, um, which is fine because you probably know um, most people when they start this entrepreneurial journey, you're supposed to probably fail on a couple different business ventures before you actually hit your stride. You know, it's like that overnight success type thing. What I, what I think the situation where you're in and then probably what I'm in as well is you're not swinging big enough. Yeah. For like, or yeah. No, yeah, it's true. Or you're I'm, just like trying, you're going for like singles, maybe mm-hmm. a double, but you should be trying to go work on like your slugging average. And this is something I think about in terms of like creating content and blog posts and all of that. Yeah. Cause like you can write like a, a short blog post a day, like pretty, pretty easily. Um, but you can create like a pretty long, like high value ad, bo- like blog post mm-hmm. every month. And that probably is more valuable than yep. like a daily reader. Totally agree. Yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's the, those of that, those online sites that generate, have to generate like a lot of fluff, like it's like short, but, uh, you know, blog posts or videos or things on YouTube, it's like, but they're doing it on volume. So the, the, the amount, the quantity is part of the process in terms of creating traffic. Whereas, yeah. uh, those, like you said, who are doing in more in depth, you know, an analysis or anything or, or commentary that has a, a different type of audience that's coming to them that is probably a little bit more loyal, that's deeper, you know? And what I'm just sharing with you, I'm going to be honest with you, somebody listening to this, um, this is what you what somebody would call limiting beliefs. So I've already stopped myself. Like, you know, a positive person would be like, I'm going to crush it on Film Trooper. I'll tell you what we're doing. We're going to be going bigger. Like, like I, the complete belief on that. I've stopped. What you heard is me putting limiting, limited beliefs on myself to say, my gut says I may not have the energy to go all out on making Film Trooper the way it needs to be because what I'm, I've decided the limited beliefs are, what I see the returns are, are not as uh, where the, I think they should be. So this is the candid conversation somebody should hear about the entrepreneurial journey. Because I said, I will listen to all those, re- read all those books, listen to all those podcasts, and it seems like everybody's crushing it and we had that word that yeah. and it sounds and it's like ah, i don't it, it sounds like you have to be waking up at five in the morning and you have to be doing all this stuff like i understand hard work and all that kind of stuff um it's not like i'm not hard working it's just like uh, it gets to the point of um i'm trying to do what i can do like what is what is me um and what can i do in my t- in my lifestyle that fits that you know pr- projects me or propels me to where I want to go. And I go, and you have to sometimes, I think, stop and go, is this path, what I created, I'm really proud of what I created, but is this, you know, what where can it go? And like, what energy can I put behind it that's going to take it to the level it needs to be? And sometimes I have to just kind of stop. And what I've done recently, I brought a co-host on for my podcast because I wasn't able to commit to the number of podcasts I used to. So now- You do about one a week? I was doing, yeah, one a week. And now, um, but now be able to get back on track with that. And uh, because I want to still serve the audience. um, And that's going to segue into why I got into real estate. So we talked about entrepreneurs 
it takes like a lot of failure sometimes. It, what was it? Edison had how many failures on the light bulb before he had it? He got it right, you know? Yeah. Um, who's the guy that started Bell Labs? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The If you want to double your success rate, you have to double your rate of failure. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. This is sort of my first venture into online op- entrepreneurship with um, uh, Film Trooper. So the fact that I was able to get a top-rated podcast and uh, and and be able to sell, um, I'm about like twenty thousand dollars in uh, sales on my book, and that's a self-published book. To be able to say, "Hey, what'd you make in your book? I made twenty thousand dollars." Well, that's what the sales sales numbers are. Pretty good. I'm ecstatic. Like that is crazy. So what? But I'm thinking to myself like, where's the next business venture I can take that? that I take all the stuff I learned, but apply it to the next thing that, that grows. And so I was mentioning as an actor, you know, um, as an actor, you get it rejected like 98% of the time. You don't get the role. Like your job is really just to do the audition. And if you get the job, you're lucky, you know, like it, it just, all the things kind of fall into place. So I enjoy the auditioning process. I enjoy doing the performance for the casting director, or the few people that are there. And then if I get the job, I'm even, I'm super stoked, right? But up here, the, what, there's very few people I know that can make a full-time living as an actor. And and it's very, the this the amount that you can make is not very much, you know, especially up here in this market. Yeah, because here I was like, I'm going on auditions and I'm hustling for maybe a job that would pay me a 500,000 bucks a job, you know, a gig that's like, and it's not consistent. And I thought to myself, a lot of people have told me like you should go into real estate. You got you should go into real estate, and it's like you get. I thought to myself, well, yeah, I guess in real estate you get rejected all the time, uh, and but the difference is if you get the gig now instead of getting paid a thousand bucks, you might have an opportunity to get be paid ten, twenty thousand dollars. So now the same skill set, I'm just shifting to be like the the odds are you can you know get greater return on your investment in terms of your time and your your skill set. At the same time, you know, last year my father passed away and he, my grandfather passed away at 68. My dad passed away at 72. I turned 45 and that gives you mortality, gives you perspective of like, maybe I only have 30 years left. So what can I do when I'm 70 that nobody would blink an eye? Um, You know, I'm being, the reason that's important is that being 45, um, I've watched the skill set of uh, videography, photography, video making, all that kind of stuff, um, be reduced to everybody on a laptop per se can do something. And so the the competition, like I, I can't command the same sort of salary uh, I used to, just because there's way too many options. And like maybe that that part of my career had run its course. There is a little bit of ageism, you know, in in terms of like looking for work you know, when they look at your age and things like that. So I was like, okay, well, I still know how to do the skills, but I'm not commanding that kind of salary I used to. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, like, when you're 70, nobody cares if you're still a real estate agent, <laughs> you know, a broker, you know what I mean? Like, that's like almost normal. So, um, but then also all the stuff kind of came, you ever heard that famous Steve Jobs um, speech at Stanford? He talked about connecting the dots. He, yeah, you can only do it like uh, retroactively. You can't yes. do it like in the moment. Right, right. Because he talked about, he had no idea why he took calligraphy in college and why he loved it. But years later when they're developing the Macintosh, he was adamant about cr- creating really gorgeous looking fonts, which mattered everything because we would have been stuck with like MS-DOS fonts forever. You know, so 
he's talked about he looked back in time and he's like but well, that's connecting the dots like i don't know where all the stuff meant but it all lined up so all of a sudden now um i've been working as a real estate broker for a few months and but really been trying to study to become a really good broker like to understand the world of real estate um, because i've always had interest in it but now you can see how all the stuff will start merging because number one um the world of real estate is that you, as a broker, you have to, I talked I talked about the greatness tracker, you have to go out and get leads, leads for your business. And every real estate broker is their own business. How, if they run it with a team or a small group of partnerships or solo, they're running, they have to run it like a business to be successful. So I'm trying to approach it that way. So I'm like, what do I create that will generate the leads? And we just talked about this experience of building a podcast, uh, content marketing, creating a sales funnel, and and working it that way, and so I'm launching a uh, an online series, and you know, uh, coming up here soon called Around the Neighborhood with Scott McMahon, and it just follows me around as I interview different people in different parts of the neighborhood all over Portland Metro, and so these little shows is my version of the podcast. So instead of having the Film Trooper podcast which then sells my book and then gives people like a free gift where they can get on my email list. Now I've got this um, video show that's short that at the end it says, hey, if you're interested in, you know, living in a neighborhood like this, like some charming story I share about this neighborhood. But it's then I invite people like don't go, go away empty handed, get a free gift from me. If you're interested in buying a home in this area or you need to sell your home wherever you're at, then pick up my free quick guides at freequickguide.com. So I got that URL. So you would go to freequickguide.com and then there's a landing page there that will give you these free guides if you're looking to buy a home or looking to sell a home because, um, um, hold on for a second, I'll show it to you. Are these things that you'd be willing to share with like an audience? Sure, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you all this stuff. I mean, it's it. what I learned is like, I all the successful people literally will give you their secrets. Like if you want to know how to build your business, this is it. This is all steps A through A through Z. It's an attitude of abundance. Yeah, it really is. And it, honestly, it's like, but the reality is once you dive into it, this is the can of truth like I'm learning is I know what it takes to build a successful business. It's me personally getting in there to, to execute all the, the steps has been difficult. It's the time management. It's the time blocking. It's the energy. It's the it's getting to that point of like having enough passion behind it that makes me go, oh, do I do I have enough grit to power through to like get through it? And like even if I do get through it, do I, will I still be fulfilled, or do I feel I just checked off some marks the boxes? So like Film Trooper in a, in a sense, like I don't know if I have the passion to see it all the way through to create all those courses just yet. So what I've done is just become an affiliate to other people's courses because I look at it and go somebody's already made the course it's much better than what i could do let me just be make a, a a commission sale off it by promoting it on film trooper and so uh so i've been doing that for a little bit so there's different ways to look at it but anyhow so for the real estate thing by having a show now that you're clicking through your facebook feed so imagine you're you're on facebook and wherever you live in your area here in portland you know so i live in here in west lynn so somebody might be the title of the video is like you know, seven secrets from West Lynn. Oh, I live in West Lynn. You click on it, and here is this video of me, you know, talking about and sharing these different, you know, seven secrets or mysteries. And at the end, 
I give the call to action, like, well, don't go away empty-handed. If you want to move to a neighborhood like this or you need to sell your home, then you get these free quick guides. One's called Buying a Home, Don't Do This, Seven Mistakes to Avoid When Buying a Home, or if you're selling a home, selling a home, then don't do this. It's the seven pitfalls to avoid when selling your home. So I have physical versions of these guides that I can mail to people or they sign up and they get the email and they get the digital downloads. So once they're on the email list, then I need to supply them with other bonuses. So what I've done in Film Trooper is if you sign up for Film Trooper, um, there's a bunch of different ways to sign up. You get the free gear guide or there's a free video series. It doesn't matter because what happens is once you're on the email list, then you get like a hello, an introductory email. Like, thank you so much for signing up for Film Trooper or for my, now for my, for, my bit, for my real estate business. Like, thank you so much for signing up for the free quick guides. Um, now I can follow up with a free three-part video series. And so I've already done this with Film Trooper. And the free three-part video series was a presentation I did of all the speaking gigs that I've gotten. So because I was generating an audience and interest and platform from Film Trooper, I had different people running film festivals reach out to me. Will you come speak? Will you come speak? And over those times, um, developing the topic on basically how to make and sell your film online, this new way of, of doing it, of selling you know product online, I had to create a presentation and refine my presentation over and over. And so a handful of times I've done that, now I had this piece of content that I've created because I've been doing it for speaking gigs. I just turned that into a video series and broke it up in three parts. And now that's free. So when you sign up, you're not just like getting bombarded with like spam. It's like there's value to it. It's, and the idea that it's released to you one video every day for the first three days, or you can watch them all at once. And then I offer like this one extra thing that somebody has to put a code in to get this one fourth video. Is really bonus bonus and those that gives you a deep dive level on like who's serious because some people will sign up they might not watch your videos you know but you can tell who watches your videos because if they take the fourth final step which is to sign up for the free fourth bonus video then you know who's serious now i have a, a sub list so i have a, a general email list but then i got a sub list of those people that went all the way through to watch all three videos, all four videos. And now I know who could be a serious buyer or who could be who I can talk to uh, more on a one-to-one -one basis by following up with them on email to see what their needs are or sell them my consulting business and things like that. So does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I've got that working with Film Trooper. And so that's the thing with the real estate business is now... I can do the same thing because now I'm offering these free gear guide. I mean, free quick guides. And then imagine there's three video series that tell you that demystify the real estate process so that, but I'm now in front of them. Now it's a video of me that they're watching. And now the whole point is to build that no like, and trust. You know, that whole saying, it was like somebody knows you and they like you, then they'll trust you. And that's my job as a real estate broker and agent is to provide that, uh, concierge service to uh, all my clients. And so if I can do that with the three video series, anybody who gets through that will eventually be vetted because they'll be serious. If they, if they stayed through and watched everything or replied back to me on questions, that means like um, they're not just sort of passerbys. I mean, they're, th those are strong leads. And you're, anything you learn about business is always about... Have you ever, do you ever see that movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? 
Okay. Famous movie um, with like Alec Baldwin, Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, uh, Kevin Spacey, um, um, oh, Ed Harris. Um, there was the other guy, the famous, I forgot. Uh, but uh, it's really classic because it all is about sales. And there's this great speech by Alec Baldwin's character. He just talks about, you know, how to, you need to, you need to, you need the leads, you need to, to close. And everybody, the whole, the whole movie is based off trying to steal these golden leads. These, they call the Glen Gary, Glen Ross leads. So the Glen Gary leads. So this concept is like all of us in business, we need to find those leads, those golden leads, because that's your 20%. Because if you just focus 20, like 20% of your time on just the golden leads, then that will lead to 80% of your business. But if you're spending too much time, you know, dealing with people that come through your business that are just kind of looky-loose, then you're just wasting your time, you know? Yeah. I, I could tell who like sort of the loyal like followers are. Um, and then, um, and they just drive, you know, majority of the business. Um, and the way to track, but it's like, I don't do probably a good enough job tra- tracking it because we're in a world of data, you know, analysis, like overload. Um, and my wife does that for a living. So I, I know like, yeah. like how in depth it is. Data smog is the term I heard. Yeah. So Everything. listening to your, like your world, I can see where you're saying, like, if you track the information, the data shows you like, you know, 5% of the people you work with are giving you like, you know, 60, 80% of your business. And then we only need to deal with them like on, you know, Mondays and Wednesdays, like Tuesdays and Thursdays is a dead zone. Like we don't need to re- replicate the same thing we're doing on Tuesdays and Thursdays because um, we could spend that time maybe r- making sure that those 5% are, are taken care of at the golden level, you know. And you'll hear a lot, actually a lot, it's in the in any type of business, like, you know, you instead of always trying to find new business, you got to harness and nurture and take care of the current business. Because if they bought from you once, they're most likely going to buy from you again, as long as you create like added value, even greater value, um, where it's much difficult to just keep always trying to fish for new new leads and things like that. Yeah. So that's something I've noticed with, um, I mean, just like the podcast, like every guest I interview, I'm like, hey, can you introduce me to, you know, two or three other people that you think would be interesting to hear a conversation with? Mm -hmm. And that is so much better than like cold emailing. Oh, yeah. That that yeah. the networking reference yeah Not just, uh, i don't know actually the cold email thing with with the podcast i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it but it's a pretty good success rate it seems like it is yeah like uh, i was interviewing a previous guest and she she'd done all the like the research on this so like i don't have to do it now <laughs> and she was saying yeah like three percent of emails get open ten percent get like looked at mm-hmm. um and most of them just get like deleted or mm-hmm. whatever like, spam folder basically but it's, it's so much more work to get each person like hey here's what i do okay great can you send me some samples uh yeah here, here, here's some samples yeah because you don't want to just like send them this like four paragraph like long right, e- right. intro email you wanna, like okay send me some of that okay uh well do you have time for a phone call do you want to like get together beforehand so, so i can kind of see what you want to do and some sometimes people want to get like a coffee beforehand mm-hmm. like, okay well that's a lot of work too yeah and then all the referrals it's like oh yeah uh yeah, R- Randall said you're great. Uh, I'll totally be on the show. Yeah. <laughs> sounds great. You do- oh, you want to do a phone call? Just to get my background. Okay, yeah, sounds great. Yeah, yeah. It's just amazing how different those two two things are, taking right. care of like your existing people versus like 
trying to bring in like new people constantly. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned about the referral, how, how the podcast is working for you. And it's actually a technique that, um, that I borrowed from uh, one of like the top podcasters. He says that in getting guests, like, so what'll happen after this, is anybody listening, is like the goal is for Nicholas to say, hey, this was a great interview. Can do you recommend anybody else that maybe would be a good fit for this podcast? And so then I could think of a few and give you some information, you know, leads. So I give you leads, but the referral leads. So then if you follow up with those people, it says, oh, Scott McMahon said that I should talk to you. Oh, okay, yeah. So it just snowballs from there. And if you listen to podcasts carefully, most guests that come on are uh, a direct result of the previous guests they had on. You know, uh, you were talking about Michael Shine from uh, Access Anyone. You know, he reached out to me. We were on each other's podcast, but he referred me to one of his clients. And then um, she's in New York, uh, Gabriella Mirabelli, and she runs her own podcast uh, called Up Next. And then she's been sending me like leads left and right, you know, for the podcast. So it's my, my, my Gabby is Alina Blankenship. She's referred to me like. I want to say like 10 plus of my guests. So it's like 30%. It's some insane number. You would think there's no way one person would be responsible for this percent of the guest appearances. Yeah. But like, yeah, either like directly from her or like downstream. From right. Her. Right. Like, like she recommended Randall who recommended you. Yeah. And if you recommend anyone, then like, yep. So she's responsible for like a huge yeah. number. <laughs> so like, whoever that person is like send them flowers and wine or like well it's funny I, I need to do i haven't done so funny alina was great we actually she allowed us to film on her house and her ranch and uh she had access to this uh, abandoned stable that i used for my movie so that's how i first met alina you know so but it's funny that you said that yeah it's true so everybody listening to this it's like the most natural way of networking but if you have a platform like a podcast or a blog or something or an event that you put on that um makes it less like, hey, can we just do some coffee? Like, oh, okay, you know. But if yeah. if, if there's something in it, the platform, the podcast, I'm just a fan of podcasts. So it's yeah. been, it has been a huge open, a door opening for pe- meeting people left and right. I'm, I know so many different people I have not met in person all over the world. And it's, I, it's, it's something I learned so much from that I was like, well, I can't wait to get this uh, new video series um, uh, launched because – like you said, you're doing the audio podcast of this. Like I'll I'll be doing sort of a short video version of it. But I, I'm excited of all the wonderful people I'm going to meet in the community, and who you know you know I, I think that's what's exciting. Like I don't know where it's going to lead, but it's 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 super fun. Yeah, or like you and I, like our paths would have never crossed otherwise. Yeah, if not for this podcast. Yeah, and like it's awesome. Like okay, here's another person who's like out there, like getting stuff done, like being proactive, got great energy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just like. Those are exactly the kinds of people you want in your life, and you just get more and more of that as it just right. grows. Right, and you, yeah, and you, it, it only helps, you know, in terms of the the whole world of networking. And I think one of the questions that you had that you sent me was about like networking and, and the film business, and it's pretty pretty vital in the film business. And I think the one thing too, though, you know, I left Southern California because I believe that you can create content anywhere, and you can sell it online anywhere. That's the the main, um, I guess, spark for a film trooper. Um, you know, being, not say disillusioned, but just being woken up to the realities of how the inner workings of the Hollywood machine works. Um, you know, in, in, in light of the, the Swinestein scandal, I mean, that's just like the tip of the iceberg in that world in terms of, there's a lot of people I met 
that I was just like, I don't, yeah, I know, I, I get the game of networking, but I was like, I really don't like you. Like, there's like, you know what I mean? There's like, they're not like the person I want to yeah. be networking with, you know? <laughs> so basically just trying to like weed it out, like who the good people you want to hang out with. And like I said, I mentioned that I was, I had run a huge department at Sony. So I, I had that experience of what it's like to run like you know, on Sony's dime, basically run a big company. And I had no desire to build my own visual effects company because I had no desire to run something at that scale ever again. Um, and I was really, I really took uh, upon it. You probably heard, you know, uh, like the four hour work week, you know, there, this whole uh, last few years is all these books have come out, these online entrepreneurs online. There's been a movement in terms of um, uh, this term lifestyle business. And it's really funny because we're, you know, being podcasts, you know, podcasters, one of the top podcasts uh, was made by um, the guys who formed Gimlet, the, the, the broadcasting network for uh, podcasts. Well, anyway, but they, they had one. Their first one was called um, Startup. Thank you. So it was really great because... Alex Bloomberg. Bloomberg, yes. Because he comes from This American Life. So he had a background in radio, storytelling, broadcast, and now he's going to form his own company. And the, you follow Startup as his journey to launch Gimlet. But the greatest thing was he talking that venture capitalist um, his connection. That and they first got, episode. <laughs> oh my God, it was amazing because he basically was saying, I just remember this, they're on a sidewalk or something, you can hear it, and the VC was saying, the world of VCs are like, we are looking for 100 times return. Like we are looking for the next Instagram and everything kind of stuff. We, that's what our world is. He goes, and right now Gimlet is not, doesn't look like it has that 100 times return. Like it goes, it's going to be maybe a nice lifestyle business. And he like told them what he wanted him to say even like, Right, it was basically saying like, if you make the Google for podcasting, we will fund that because because that's how we can leverage the hundred time return. That's how we could sell that technology to Google or something like that. Like that's what he was basically saying. But you're right, Bloomberg is a storyteller. There's this part that a lot of film troopers or filmmakers that I talk to is this creative need, this creative need. Like I I I don't want to build a business that doesn't have like there's something else. Like you have to be true to yourself. Bloomberg was true to true to himself. And building shows, you know, because that's who he was. And that's where his passion was to oversee producing, you know, storytelling shows on through podcasting. But when he, when the VC talked to him about, he goes, you're going to, you know, make a nice lifestyle business. He, he, Alex was like, what's a lifestyle business? And he explains like, basically it's like you make good money, but it just fits your lifestyle, but it doesn't really grow anything more than that. And then Alex was so over his head in building Gimlet that he was like, Gosh, that sounds really great. <laughs> and he goes, hey, and the VC's like, it is great. It's great, but not with my money. Like my money is worth a hundred times more. That's what that's what we're looking for. And so that was such a great episode because it's like there is a split. Like it doesn't, you don't have to go all the way in. And I purposely of the last few years have purposely not tried to build anything big. Like I say, we were talking about that. I put the limited beliefs on me because I've been trying to build a lifestyle business. And when you heard me read my sort of affirmations, like who I am, you know, that part of me that, you know, uh, makes X amount of dollars, I do this and I travel to California once a week, you know, whatever, or once a month, that that is the affirmation of the lifestyle business. And so I've been purposely trying to build something there. And um, it's been a long, long journey. And I think I'm only like a fourth in, you know? <laughs> yeah. What do you think about the idea of like aiming just crazy high? So I think people usually like meet their goals, but mm -hmm. like they barely meet. Like, like yeah. Kinda... Well, it's that famous cliche or that saying you probably heard is like, 
reach for the stars because if we reach for the stars, you may not grab all of them, but you're not going to grab a handful of mud either. Meaning that if you stretch as far as you can and have your goal so lofty, you're not going to get you're not going to get all of them, but you're not going to be stuck with a bunch of mud in your hand either. And we talked about limiting beliefs. You know, I put on myself. You know, um, so you know, I think for me with Film Trooper, it was more of an exploration of trying to put these things into practice with not a lot of confidence. Meaning like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. Try this, try this. But now that I've done it once, I can't tell you how much confidence I'm going into building out the next, uh, my sales funnel for my real estate business. So the more that I'm into uh, building up my real estate resume in terms of my understanding, the more confidence I'm building. Because the marketing thing is I'm super confident about. Because I've, I've already done it on a smaller scale. So uh, I am now challenging myself to apply myself to like the greatness tracker, but also to apply myself to maybe larger like numbers. And I don't want to get wrapped up in too much of like what I'm like, like a money, like I, I, I want to make, you know, $10 million. Right. I understand because, yes. because in real estate, actually there's, there's people that they tend to look at it. Like we don't look at like the volume of, because you'll hear like in real estate, like I sold, uh, you know, $10 million in homes. Mainly like, you know, I sold 10, $1 million homes. Or it's like, you know, they look at volume. And so it's like, that's what they're selling. But there's other people in the industry that I really like when they talk about, we look at it as the number of families we serve or, you know, or that we helped. So there's a different altruistic, you know, approach to it. You look at people and you just see a dollar amount. Mm-hmm. And that's like the oh, it's like the most discouraging way to go through life. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a secret. This, this is always fun. Everybody seems to always get this like moment of like, oh my gosh. And I know that I'm probably running long and I'm sorry. The, um, if you want to know how movies make money or how people make money in movies, and this is interesting because I think it might apply to other industries. Um, the way it works is that Say you and I, we run a movie company in terms of um, we produce movies. The thing is, we have we have to have a relationship with um, other people around around the world that buy and sell movies. So there's only a handful of what they call film markets around the world. There's only one in uh, in America. It happens in November and down in Santa Monica, the American film market. But the same people who go to that film market go to the famous Cannes film market, you know, in France. And then um, there's also uh, one in Berlin. There's one in Singapore and China. There's only like a handful. So the same group of people, international buyers and sellers of film product, uh, travel to these markets. So if you want to get into the film business, you go to those markets. And that's where you start networking. Because you and I, we make movies we produce movies and we have a relationship with say a the Japanese uh, film buyers. And the Japanese market, they like, we want monster movies that destroy buildings. You know, that's it. So what we do is we come up with a poster to show a, a version of a monster destroying a building and we come back to our uh, Japanese film buyers because we've built this relationship. We built a, a networking relationship and maybe we've done work with them in the past and they, we you know, whatever we we made movies in the before so now you have to imagine there is no movie there's just a poster and a poster and a, and we talk to the film the japanese film buyers and they say oh we like this movie if you can deliver this movie by this date 
um, we can pay you $2 million. So great, let's shake on it. We get like a, a letter of intent, you know, a promise note that says, if we finish this movie, this they will give us $2 million. So we come back to the United States and we go to, there's a handful of banks in the United States that um, will fund us, give us the money against the promise note. So it's like, okay, so hey, you know, this is a reputable company, you know, obviously they will pay you $2 million, we will give you $2 million alone to go make your movie. Will they really loan like the whole two million dollars, or is it, like, it's, this, this is like an overgeneralization of it? Okay, it's it seems now, like we discount it. Okay, if we don't need to get the financing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, the, the financing is actually it's 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 hodgepodge. Honestly, to make films, it's it's a bunch of like, um, it's pieced together with private equity, uh, tax refunds, you know, loans. Um, pre-sales are almost dead now, which is what we're talking about here. But the, this is what's important about it is that it's understanding where people make their money. So we are. Now we have a, a promise note of $2 million. If we deliver this movie, we get a loan for $2 million to make the movie. So everybody's thinking like, you're going to make a $2 million movie, right? This is where everybody makes their money. The producers, the distribution companies, they decide, this is really how the producers make all their money. We're going we're gonna to pocket $1.5 million and then we're going to only make the film for 500000 So... We, as we in the perspective of like, we made the deal and the deal is worth 75%. So we're going to pocket a million and a half. When we decide to make the movie for 500,000, that's when we hire all the talent. We hire the screenwriter, we hire the director, we hire the actors and all the technicians and everybody that goes into making a $500,000 film. Because the way the unions are set up is that you are paid a fee based on the budget of the film so you know nowhere does it say that it's a two million dollar budget film it just says no it's a five hundred thousand dollar budget film so everybody is working in in the in the field if you're a specialist if i'm a, a cinematographer a director of photography I, my, I have a rate i get a certain amount of money based off the budget of the film so your goal is to try to get on as many big budget films as possible because then your rate goes up because it's 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 weighed against that and but what you don't know in the back, you know, the back scene is like all those producers, they're they have 75% more in their pocket. Risk free. Yeah. And they're also getting a fee. They're gonna get a producer, they'll get more on it, you know? So what happens is the movie gets finished, and then the movie's delivered to the Japanese buyers, deliver it as promised, they give the two million dollars and you pay back the loan. So the whole point is most producers, that's why they have their names on so many different films. Because all they're doing is making a deal. They're like, oh, great, I made a deal with the Japanese film buyers. Here's with the Italian buyers, the one down in South America. I've got like seven projects in the works, and each one I'm making about a million, three million dollars on. And that's how they're making their money. So, why doesn't everyone just do that? Like, because not every. But, like, how's that not competed away? <laughs> my, well, that's where uh, things are getting iffy. A couple of years ago, that model is being threatened because now you have something like Netflix which is Netflix is global now. So you have to deal with them. It's like, and they only pay like a flat fee. So now the producer has to decide like, okay, I'm making a deal with Netflix. So they're going to say, they're going to give me $10 million for this project. We're going to take 5 million and we're going to make 5 million. You know, we'll just make the project for 5 million, you know? So what I'm getting at is the producers are always going to still take more money because they can. That's what it's built into. It's, 
all the technicians, all the artists. So all the actors, you know, when they negotiate a, a um, you know, they're negotiating against a budget. Like, well, we have five million dollars in the budget. We can pay you a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, if they're if they have big enough clout and names, they could command more money. But I'm talking about like all the people that work on a regular basis, like the technicians, your your cinematographer, your 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 grips and your gaffers, and and all the crew people. They are they are solely making their money off fees. Fees the movie. It's all based off the budget. So, like you're saying, like why does more people do it? The problem is now we have an overload of content because now everybody can make content, and so. And what I discovered in my exploration of my book and Film Trooper is that film really isn't what they're selling, you know? I mean, um, it's sort of like books and music and art, you know? It's like you can sell, like I can sell my movie, but what if you go to Target now, if you go to Redbox, what are you, what are you paying for a movie? You're paying like 99 cents sometimes. Yeah, well, I think I rented Wonder Woman on Blu-ray for Two bucks. Two bucks. So basically, the the film content, the product, is worth as much or less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. The difference with Starbucks oh, was different with Starbucks. They have an addictive ingredient that you come back more and more and more. You know, so you will you will buy that five dollar coffee over and over and over. You buy a movie once for two bucks. It's kind of it. So the the real truth about what revolves around money making is called the exploitation of licenses so when you when we create we're movie producers we really want one too is we want to retain the rights the licensing rights of that monster movie so we just we just license since two million dollars to the japanese buyers you know that they can show that movie in their territory for two million dollars but then we can license the movie out to all these other territories or make t-shirts make sequels Sharknado, you know, it's like all that stuff is we have the license to make as many sequels and uh, or offshoots as possible, you know, um, because and really it's George Lucas is the one who, who really kind of to look at what he did. Star Wars made a lot of money, the movie, but he's the first one to tell you that all the money is in the action figures, meaning he kept the rights to the ancillary merchandise of the first Star Wars film. He, he let 20th Century Fox retain the rights to distribute the movie, but Lucas, under his Lucasfilm brand, kept the ancillary merchandise rights, and he built an empire. And, you know, and he sold his whole business to Disney for whatever, $4 billion, something like that. So when you look at that, you go, okay, the pragmatic, you know, economic person might simply say, okay, all, all these movies and film content is nothing more than an advertisement for something else. You that you're you're selling something else. Okay, that's exactly what I asked Randall and like yeah. when, when we talked to him. Yeah. Like that exact question like so is content just like free? You make it for free. Yeah. It's pretty free. Okay. Yeah. Which is here's Randall's situation. He's a screenwriter. He can only get paid a screenwriting fee based off the budget of the film. So when he was working on like Mask of Zorro and The Doors, like that's a big budget, million, million, multi-million dollar film. So his fee is going to be higher. When he gets like a job that comes in that's a low budget film, he can only, they only can pay him so much. So he's relegated to that, that, that world when you're, when you're sort of a craftsman, unfortunately. Um, but right, the, the economics on the bigger level, the studios and anybody or produ- any studios like we are, we are looking to take the film content 
and exploit the license. And it's really, mu- we can make some money off it. We'll maybe make our money back. You know, it's almost like a loss leader. Like, you, you know what I mean? It's like, That's yeah. kind of what I would see it as. Yeah. Uh, I think the example we talked about was like Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. Just because they've done crazy well with the oh, merchandise. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you have something really great, you know, then it just goes gangbusters. Because then the, the, somebody has to pay for the license. Like, can I have the license to make Rick and Morty costumes? Can I have a license to make the Rick and Morty card game? You know, that kind of stuff. So we pay the creators, the whoever holds the license, the IP license, um, a percentage of royalties of everything that we make, you know, of, of all the ancillary merchandise. Uh, artists don't like that. They don't like thinking that their their art is exploited for that. But so I've come up with a, another analogy to help them embrace it, which is like your film is nothing more than an amplifier for something bigger. So it's really prevalent in the world of like documentary filmmaking. So somebody might make a documentary film, but that's just like the catalyst for a larger conversation in terms of like a movement, uh, food matters. You know, there's a, uh, this whole thing about, um, you know, eating healthier, but you know, the film just is a catalyst. It's an amplifier for something that needs to be talked about more and you can build a business from it. Here's the one of the best fun examples. And it's not even intended to, there's a film, a documentary film called fat, sick, and nearly dead. It follows a Australian businessman, Joe Cross, who was really sick. He was overweight, on medication, and and he was already a successful business person, but he just he, his health was in jeopardy. And this documentary shows um, where he went on a, a, a vegetable and fruit uh, juice diet. All he was drinking was grinding, you know, just blending carrots and broccoli with apples, and and that's what he was drinking for. And his health. Ex- he lost all this weight. His he was off medication, and so he takes his journey through America, and he's just walking around different uh, towns in America. And he had his, and he was just talking about you know diet, and, and showed him that he had his portable blender, or you know his, his that he had, and he finds certain people in America like this overweight truck driver, really overweight, obese, and then we watch this transformation of this guy over the course of the film gets so healthy and so this this whole mood you can't help watch that film and be feel like you're transformed your immediate need when you after seeing the film is like i'm gonna get myself a juicer so here's the thing here's a film a documentary film that shows a transformation of health but because it's tied to this product of a juicer fruit and vegetable juicer it makes you want to go get a juicer so you go, it makes it really easy because you go to the website to where the film is yeah. and right on the thing, he's selling juicers. Like, no. he, he, he partnered with an um, Australian um, uh, juicing company, Breville, and their sales from the movie of their juicers just went up. So they, they it was so oh, successful. So it's not even his juicer. No, like, he, he was an affiliate salesperson. <laughs> okay. He was just selling, Am- he just, he sent everybody to an Amazon link for these $300 juicers and he was making about like, you know, whatever um, uh, percentage of each sale. So, but he, 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 he helped Breville juicers make so much money off the, uh, off, the, off his movie that they partner with him to fund his sequel. So that is the most, basic in terms of like economics you can see like the film itself didn't make like all this money because the film itself was only worth 99 cents rental you know what i mean where the juicer was a 300 dollars product so a high percentage of people that watched the film for like free or 99 cents would buy this expensive 300 dollars juicer 
And so those sales numbers, like that's where I'm talking about the sales funnel. Here I am, my sales funnel. I have a, uh, I have a movie I sell for like 99 cents. My book is 20 bucks. I don't have like a $300 product in my, in my pipeline yet. Um, and that's why I, I kind of stop a film trooper because I replaced it by going, I'm going the real estate route. Because now the difference is instead of doing a $500 consultation on Film Trooper, my consultation as a sales uh, broker is like ten, twenty thousand. You know, when you're selling a home or something like that. So it's like, but the same mechanics are working because I have to create valuable, useful content uh, marketing and bring them to a sales funnel, and 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 get those good leads. And my job is to follow up with those leads and work out a re- business relationship with um, buyers and sellers at home. And, and I know, honestly, that real estate as a broker, it's very difficult to make like high level, like, you know, $200,000 a year, unless you're doing really high volume. Most people in the real estate industry make their money because they buy and hold investment properties. I just, I'm looking to make expendable income so that I can start investing into properties. So I have you know, say I have one rental that gives me $500, you know, profit every month. So, but if I had 10 of those types of properties, yeah. you know, then I'm making, the, the goal is to, to make like 25000 a month off just rental properties. And that's your passive income. Um, but, but by being in the real estate industry, I, uh, you get my first pass, right. I'm looking for those and I'm also looking to help investors. So I'm helping investors find property like that. Cause I already working with, um, right now investors from Hawaii and California are looking to invest up here in the Portland area. So my job is to find those deals. But once I get some disposable income and that I put in my budget, that's my goal to build the wealth. So, but my job, like my job will be real estate broker. My wealth building would be investment properties, but my passion or like this this need to 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 make film content will be part of the film trooper world, um, because I'm going to still report back to the film trooper world. Like here I am running my own online series. It's still film content. It's you know it's me acting. It's you know it's me in front of the camera. It's me putting uh, filming and editing. It's me putting it into all these online portals and testing out the marketing of it and seeing if they have any results. And that that is valuable information back to the filmmaking community because it's like... You so you pl- get like, yeah. all kinds of good synergies coming out of yes. that. Yeah. And then that's where we were talking about, like Steve Jobs talking about connecting the dots. Like now it all comes together. Because I was mentioning I'm, I'm an actor and I've been a, I've been paid as an actor, like here's 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks. Will you be a spokesperson for our credit card company or a beverage company? And I thought to myself, I've already done it as a spokesperson. Might as well just do a spokesperson for my own business. So that's the that's where the connection comes from. It's like I'm creating my own work as an actor. I'm creating, I love the marketing stuff because it's challenging, it's creative because you're trying to piece together like, is this piece of content resonating with an audience? Because you'll know. Does it have any, what's the conversion rate? Is like people buying what I'm selling? If it's not, then you can change it. So there's still that aspect of filmmaking that I get to explore. Um, but I'll tell you the reason real estate is exciting, it has been for me, is running Film Trooper, I've been stuck in my home office for a while. So there's this, on. I know a lot of people all over the world, but it's through online. It's through Skype and calls and stuff like that. I kind of need human contact. 
Like, you know, like I need to be out. Like I realize that's a, a missing part where I'm, I'm, I don't go to an office. I don't have water cooler conversations. I'm not, you know, passing by. Like there's, th- there's a need that way. And I've discovered that, that the real estate world has given me that. Because if I'm out doing open houses, I'm meeting people. And I, I'm telling you, that is my soul. Like that fulfills something that hasn't been there for years, for, from three years running Film Trooper. The only time I get a break is when I get the acting gigs. And I'm ecstatic because I'm around people. You know, like just hanging out and talking to people. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I can do happy hours and things like that. But there's something about being together with people in a vocation is, is powerful. And so all this stuff is sort of connecting and, and I'm, ex- I'm on the beginning stages and I know there's a lot of time management and stuff I got to, I got to get more disciplined at, but, um, you can check back with me in like a year or two to see if I, if I've applied all the things I said I was going to try to do and, and what, what came of it at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Do you have any, um, final thoughts or plugs you want to include in your business? Oh, yeah. Well, um, one of the things I do for Film Trooper is I really enjoy working with young people. And I had started a Film Trooper Academy. And so basically, it's a half-day film school uh, for young people. And we've done a few of them. And um, and I haven't done it in, in a bit because I'm busy learning the real estate stuff. But now, that's another added element that I'll be doing soon is doing these community events for aspiring filmmakers which is like, I figure out a way to make it really fun in four hours to almost tell you everything about the film industry, like in terms of how to make films, so that if you show up on a set, you wouldn't be out of place. You know exactly what's going on. And the kids have super fun making these, these movies. And I teach them a new way of approaching um, the filmmaking process. For instance, I said, um, we had one session where I told them, because they're young people, they don't even, you know what, they don't know what came before, per se. They're just like, you're the teacher. Tell us what you want to teach us, per se. And I, I said, listen, all your films are advertisements or amplifiers or something more. And it goes, and we're going we're gonna to show it. It goes, right now, we have an affiliate link with Amazon because we can sell any product on Amazon. Anybody can sign up for an affiliate a sponsorship link, a, an account, you can uh, a partnership. Basically, you go on with your Amazon account, say, enter your tax information, your banking account information, and then you can start selling. They give you specific codes for different all the products and in Amazon and you start selling them. Um, for instance, like if you go onto YouTube and somebody's doing like a, a camera, like a f- photography uh, video, here's how you shoot your DSLR, you know, and they give you like a how to, a bunch of how to videos on YouTube. If you look below, they've got all these links to like where to buy the camera or all the accessories. All those are affiliate links. So they're making money because they're driving traffic to Amazon to have people buy the camera th- there, but they're using, there's a code that says, oh, thank you for driving traffic and you'll get X amount of dollars. So I make, a, you know, basically a little bit of money on Amazon affiliates right now and enough money to pay for like, you know, birthday presents and things like that. So what we did for this kids at the Film Trooper Academy, I said, we pick a product and what we did, we looked at the best selling products in like uh, toys and games and game boards. And so one of the best selling products in that um, category on Amazon was a game called Pie Face. Essentially, like it's Russian roulette with this plastic can and a knob that cranks, and you put whipped cream on it, and you stick your face in this little contraption, and like you spin, like you get, you have to like you spin this little spinner. It's like you click three times, so you click, 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 and you see the hand almost like move, and you pass to the next person and click, 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 and eventually it's going to splat your face. It's called Pie Face, right? 
and it's a you know it's a gag of a, a game and the, you know the game costs like whatever 15 bucks you know so we have an affiliate link for that so we're gonna i told them like we are selling this product so your job in this film trooper academy session this half day film school is you're going to make a commercial a web commercial to sell this product and guess what there's no rules. How how creative you want to get? What what would you like? To, how would you how would you best sell this product or in a creative way? And they all came up with. They started doing storyboards, and they came back like, we want to do a saw spoof. So they made it look like a scary movie, and they had a character be like zig, uh, uh, Jigsaw, and he's talking about you know pie face. You know, it's like so the kids got really creative, and you know we put it online before Christmas, and it was just it was tongue in cheek thing. It didn't go super viral, but I showed them, like it got X amount of views, the conversion rate was this, and guess what? I showed them that you made a little bit of money. All it was is show them an example that you can take any product right now on Amazon and create a creative, fun video and drive people to your affiliate link and start making sales. I go, what happened if that video went viral? Imagine the, the, the conversion rate on that if it made like a million views. What's, you know, one to 3% of a million? I don't know. I don't but say it's like a couple thousands, right? Yeah, 10 to 3,000. And then you imagine that many people bought the the game. Your return would be that much. So they all looked at it like, oh, it's cool. So they all got paid a little bit of money. It was a very little effort. We didn't put a lot of fuel behind the video. It was mostly just to share it here and there on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. But the fact that, that they saw that it worked. Like, pick a product, make your own. Nobody's telling what to do. Just make your movie. That's really crazy because most people in the fi- the film world, they are getting paid by an ad agency to make commercials for like Nike or whatever. You know, so like their client is paying them a fee. Oh, that's <laughs> that's another one. You know, we talked about movie producers pocketing all that money. Believe me. Ad agencies are doing the same thing. So like a client like Nike comes into an ad agency, like Wyan Kennedy or something, and they says, here's $20 million to do our ad, you know, to do all the advertisement. And of that $20 million budget, they'll probably, you know, take, you know, 75% of that. And they offer maybe like $25,000 to a small production company. It says, here's the budget to make this web commercial. So then as an actor, I get paid based off the fee, of the, the budget of a $25,000 ad campaign, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it all trickles down. But what I'm getting at is all those people, they're dependent on an agency to hire them to make a, um, they don't have a lot of say sometimes in the creative direction of where uh, where that stuff is going in terms of um, uh, of making a commercial. Whereas the kids, you, you get to pick any product you want. Instead of a $15 game product, what if it was a $300 juicer? You know, uh, anyway, it was a really interesting experiment and, and stuff that I love to teach kids. And, and they're all they're I've been they're all clamoring. They're like, we got to do another. They're asking me to do the next one. So now talk about connecting the dots. I've got to launch the Film Trooper Academy coming up uh, the next session. And then but it's going to be sponsored by my real estate brokerage. So now it's all it's it's my it's my version of a community um, um event 
that is for that doesn't always have to be related to uh, real estate, but just so you know, because you've you've probably driven around, you see like somebody's real estate like banner on like uh, the softball fields, the football fields, (laughs) you know, yeah, park benches and stuff like that. You know, it's it's the same difference. That's all. But that's what I'm excited to to announce. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. Scott shared a lot of his resources, including his greatness tracker and sales funnel diagram for the benefit of the Y-Tri community and their own entrepreneurial endeavors. You can get his book at survivetheimplosion.com and you can get his movie making gear guide free at freegearguide.com. Scott shared a lot of really good information, I think, about making money with an online business. And I really appreciate his candor about how hard it can be to get things done, even when it feels like you have a roadmap right in front of you. This is, I think, a really under-discussed area of entrepreneurship and one that I think people need more help with than they let on or than they might realize. I think we all have our blocks and limiting beliefs, like Scott said, so getting your head right can really go a long way towards your success. Luckily, I do think this is an area I'm well-equipped to help people with. So following Scott's advice from about the middle of the interview, I'm going to start offering an entrepreneurial coaching service for those interested. I think I'll start it out uh, just giving people a free... 30 minutes of conversation if it's valuable for you then every hour after that would be $75 so if you're interested in meeting up uh, shoot me an email at nicholaspeel at gmail.com the spelling for my name is in the show notes you might as well try it see if it's a good fit for you worst case we connect have a great conversation and you walk away and thanks for listening